0: Our scripture reading today comes from Luke 10, through 37 And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
1: Well, good morning. I wonder how many times in how many churches the Good Samaritan has been preached. One of the... I was talking to somebody this morning after the service and they said they felt that maybe it had been preached a lot but mostly to children. I I don't know. That's an interesting thought. But I wonder how many books have been read about it. You know... No matter where you go, uh, just last week, um, in fact, I think it was yesterday I read in the paper, they talked about a Samaritan. It's just so well known that um, you think to yourself, wow, uh, what more could be said about it? Um, you realize that, that uh, there are 31 parables in the Bible. I, you know, you can debate that, but pretty close to 31, 24 of them are in the book of Luke. That uh, says what Luke is about, doesn't it? That uh, there's 23 in Matthew, but of the 24 that are in Luke, 18 of them are peculiar just to Luke. And, of course, this is one of those that are peculiar just to Luke. Um, you know, the, the, the uh, parable over the years, uh, in fact, even when I was young, I'm embarrassed to say it, <clears throat> um, we allegorized most of the words, uh, especially this parable. It really lended itself well to, to allegory. Uh, early, early Bible translators, early, way early, um, did a lot of that. And uh, this, lend, this one really lent itself well to victim. For example, you know what an allegory is? That's when everything stands for something. And so the victim would become the lost sinner. The um, victim that is half dead would be alive physically, barely, and dead spiritually. The uh, priest and the Levi represent the law and uh, their ability to help. It can tell you what God is, but it can't tell you how to be saved. The Samaritan would, of course, be the Lord, and uh, he saves the man and promises to come again. And then, of course, the inn is the local church. And the two coins that uh, were left would have been the Word or the Bible and the Holy Spirit. I repent of that. Uh, I don't want you to remember it. I just wanted you to know that people did that in years ago. I think now, I think it's better to look at this parable and say, what are the lessons that he's trying to teach? What is it that he really wants to get across? And um, when you think about it, I want to tell you where I want to go with this. Since so much has been said about it, I'd like to look at the expert in the law. I'd like to look at the man who um, um, is laying by the roadside. And then I'd like to look at the Samaritan. And then because this particular parable lends itself so beautifully to communion, I'd like to tie there So there's my four points, and uh, let's dig into them. First of all, um, one of the interesting things is the Lord's ability, it always fascinated me, the Lord's ability to, to zero in on the problem that he's facing. Here comes the expert of the law. He knows it all. You know, he is the one who has studied the law, knows it better than anybody else, and is ready to take the Lord to task so that he can explain to him how well he does know the law. And the Lord knows that there's something missing. And so he straightens him out on the one thing that he's missing. And that's interesting to me because he does that throughout the scripture. Let me give you an example it comes in, um, uh, it comes in uh, Luke um, chapter 18, verses 18 through 22. A certain ruler, that sounds kind of familiar. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. The ruler, the rich young ruler, he said, well, Lord, all of these things I've done from my youth up, I'm an unusual person because I'm really, have done all of these things without fail. And so what did the Lord say? The Lord said, well, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell all that you have. Give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. And of course, he nailed him. I don't like that phrase, because I'm going to use it later, because I think that's what the expert in the law was trying to do to the Lord. He, he showed him the one thing he was lacking, right? Money is your idol. Why? Because the, the man walked away be a lot of money. The one thing. You know, you can't even get past the first commandment. You have to kept them all. You broke the first one. If you can't, well, now, now he comes to the expert in the law. What's the one thing that the expert in the law is missing? Well, compassion. You know, I'm convinced of this. If the Lord Jesus were here and we ask him, Lord, is this right or is it wrong? Is this right or is it wrong? He would be able to say to us with no gray area. He would be able to say, This is right. Usually you say it with your right hand, don't you? This is right, and this is wrong. You see, it, the gray area is because we, you and me, we have difficulty establishing very clearly the right from wrong. There are a lot of things that are really gray. Now, if your gray area is too big, I guess that's why they use the left side, because you're liberal. However, if your gray area is too small, then you're a legalist. And the tension in life, particularly the tension in a Christian's life, is how am I gray area? I don't want to be liberal. I don't, to be a, I don't want to be an ultra-legalist. So, how big is my gray area? And that's precisely what he's saying to this man. He's saying, don't you realize you're missing something? You see, the thing that you're missing is the very thing that you said <laughs> is what drew you to the law. How do, you, how do you summarize the law? Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor is yourself. Well, what is he missing? Well, he's missing love and compassion. His gray area is probably about that wide because he's a legalist. He can, he can tell you what's right and wrong within a gnat's eyelash, but he can't understand Need compassion. There's a word. It's it's unique to Hebrew. I've often thought that the Lord used Hebrew because of that word, because it's that critical. Um, you don't hear. I've I've heard it preached here, two or three times over the years. It's a word that's very hard for those of us who are not guttural to say, but it's kased, and you know it's translated a lot of different ways. It's um, mercy. Um in, um, you, you know, what is it, Micah 6.8, he has showed you, old man, what is right and what the Lord requires of you, that you love mercy. And that you walk humbly before your God. You see, the word could actually mean love. Well, you can't say love, love, although you could. What is it? Well, you see, it's a word in English. It's a word that's so unique, and it talks about the compassion of your heart. It talks about at your core belief system, who are you? It talks about how do you fit into this world with regards to your compassion for others? And that's what the expert in the law was missing. And you notice that the Lord went right to it. The expert in the law asked the Lord Jesus. That's why I said... He nailed him. He really wanted to nail the Lord. Do you realize what we do today in society? It's amazing to me how we look for that gotcha moment where we can really destroy you. So sad. We don't have any understanding of compassion. This man wanted to justify himself. That's the word that we use in, you know, justification. It's the same word, which it's our standing before God. And he wanted to justify himself. And so he thought, if I can nail this, this teacher, if I can nail this rabbi, if I can nail this guy, then I'm going to be okay. And I'm going to come out shining like a rose. Well, unfortunately, that's not good. Because he asked that question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, it's interesting because just a little bit above this, in the same chapter, um, the 72 return, and um, the Lord says to him, uh, you know, don't brag over all the good things that you were able to do. Rejoice over the fact that your name is written in the book of life. That's like saying, rejoice in the fact that you're alive." life. So I wonder if the, if the ruler thought, there's my opportunity that I can have a gotcha moment to get this one called Jesus. Well, I don't know. All I know is that's the expert of the law, and that's where he came from. And the thing that he lacked was love and compassion. Now we have the wounded man. Here's a guy laying by the roadside. And, and the story lead you to realize that this person is totally and completely abandoned. You know, the priest walks by. The Levite walks by. Nobody is willing to help him. It's, um, I, I said I, I repented over the fact that I allegorized the parable. But you know, I think there's something to that. That business of being half dead. Think of the number of people in this world that are dead spiritually, but they're alive physically. And the interesting thing and I find it in myself. I'm not proud of the fact that sometimes I don't, I don't let that bother me. I, uh, I've always admired people who look at others that are not Christians and weep over them. I just, what a, what a heart of a need for a lost and dying world. For the people who are trying to get other people well, there's enough of that, but anyway, it's the picture of the state of, of of the individual before he's redeemed. There, there. There's no one that seems to care. Even the psalmist says, "No man cares." All. But then comes the Samaritan. Yeah, you know. Why on earth would a Samaritan have anything to do with a Jew? You remember, remember where the Samaritans come from? They, um, uh, they were in the northern kingdom in 700-some B.C. The northern kingdom was carried into captivity by the Assyrians. And if you remember, um, the Lord sent wild animals against the people who were left and against the people who were imported. And, um, and they, they cried out and said, we don't know about the gods of the land. And so they sent back some priests and some experts-in-law, taught them about the Bible, about the Pentateuch, and about the Lord, the God of Israel. And so these people became kind of a, they intermarried, and they became kind of a half-breed type of group, people. And you remember when, when they wanted to rebuild the temple, you remember they came and said, we worship this God, let us be part of it. And the Jews said, no, you're not like us. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But anyway, no way. We don't want anything to do with you people because you're not exactly like us. You know, the, the ASEANs, you know what their idea of the neighbor was? Anybody that was an ASEAN, Because they reasoned this way. Remember the ASEANs? They were the ones that gave us the Dead Sea Scrolls. But the rest of the world was in total darkness. Therefore, they were evil. Therefore, they could not be our neighbor because they were evil. Well, that's the picture that we have between the Jews and the Samaritans. Now, the Samaritans also hated the Jews because in the second century B.C., B.C., The Jews decided that they didn't like the Samaritans and they didn't like the fact that they were worshiping the God of Israel. So they went up on top of Mount Gerizim and they destroyed. Now That does not build good relations. That has a way of making you kind of dislike each other. And yet, isn't it interesting? Here's the Samaritan who comes down, sees the wounded man, and has the one thing, that the other man is lacking, he has compassion. Isn't that a beautiful picture? He has the one thing, and the Lord pointed it out. Here's the man who has compassion. You know, you see that a little bit later. Same chapter. It follows, in fact, the story of Mary and Martha. remember um, the Lord Jesus is at their house for dinner, and Martha is busy, Preparing the dinner. And where's Mary? Well, she's at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. She's listening to him teach. And Bartholomew says, Lord, don't you realize what this girl's doing? She's letting me do all the work. And she's just loafing. And what did the Lord say? Mary has chosen the good part. And that won't be taken away from her. All you can think about, Martha, is the physical. But there's two dimensions to life. There's the physical and the spiritual. There's the law and there's grace. And we have to learn how to live in the tension between love and grace. And when you learn how to do that, you're a happy Christian. Fascinating to me that those kind of things. There's another interesting thing about this. Some of the commentators I read believed that this is not a parable in the sense that at some time uh, there, was a, there was an occasion that this actually did happen where a Samaritan helped to do Otherwise, the expert in the law would have just fluffed it off because of his Samaritans, realizing that there's no absolute way. That's possible. But you know, there's another thought there, and I like it better. And that thought is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. While the Lord was talking, the Lord was convicting the heart of the expert of the law. Who knows he may have been taking some of the law that the expert had memorized and was playing it back to him so that he could understand that he did not understand what love is and what compassion is and what we need in order to live our lives in accordance with the love and the part that God has for us now let's look at how that ties to communion um, the big thing that we have to see is this paradox. Um, I, 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 last time I was here, I, on the, I preached on the, on the uh, terrific twos. I, I preached on it simply because there are, there, there's always this side and this side. And here we have another one of those paradoxes. Here's a Jew being helped by a Samaritan. That is a paradox. Um, it, it's a, it's an amazing thing when you think about it you wouldn't expect to to be helped by a samaritan you expect them to you you'd expect one of the priests to do it or the levite to do it but no it was a samaritan that had the compassion and and took care of him in fact uh, you know the bible's full of paradoxes um we we probably realize that but that paradox is what we do every time we take communion. Let me give you some of the paradoxes. There's there's actually fourteen of them, but I like these seven, and so I, I put I put the seven together from the book by uh, Rodello. It's exaltation through humility. It's strength through weakness. It's receiving through giving. It's freedom through servitude. It's gaining through losing, living through dying. And it's finding through losing. Now, what's the paradox of communion? Well, on the night he was betrayed, on the night he was betrayed, you remember, we talked about the last time that I was here. Every one of us have betrayed him. And yet on the night we betrayed him, yet he let us sit at his table. Think of the think of the of the paradox that existed with Judas. Do you realize that on the night that Judas betrayed him, the Lord Jesus, knowing Judah was going to betray him, gave him the Sop. In other words, that was like saying, I love you. He fed him something. In other words, it was a picture of loving someone who had betrayed him. And here's the paradox. You and I have betrayed him, and yet we come to his table. Let me read the words of institution and point out for you just a couple more of those paradoxes that are there. I should have marked it so I didn't have to turn to it here real quick. But anyway, it's um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy man now you tell me which one of you are worthy it isn't me and yet being unworthy we sit at the Lord's table there's a, there's a, a, a song we sometimes sing here once your enemy now seated at your table let's go on Um, let a person examine himself. You see, the the whole point of communion is to, to see whether or not you have cassette in your life. Because here's a picture of love. Here's a picture of someone who loved us so much. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him could sit at that table and receive communion. A paradox. Let a person examine himself, or anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we are judged, we judge ourselves, we judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. So what is the what is the picture of paradox? The picture of paradox is simply the fact that we have absolutely no right, apart from what Jesus Christ accomplished for us, to come to that table. But if you him, then it's your table. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. I think it sums it up so beautifully. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or deceit, but in humility, Count others more significant than yourselves. Let you not look. O- let you look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Now, isn't that of the Samaritan, moved by compassion? Shouldn't that be a picture of us? Shouldn't that be reason for coming to you? because we want to show the Lord's death until he comes because of what he's done for each of us. Oh, how wonderful, how gracious, how glorious that our God would seat us at his table, that he would love us, that he would have cased for each of us, that he would be willing to take us from the roadside and seat us at his table. Oh, Father, how thankful we are for your precious love. How thankful we are that we can turn to you, and that we have the opportunity and the privilege. Of serving you, and being loved by you, we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Um, as the uh, as forward and set and table, um, I, I want to make it very clear that if, if for some reason you don't feel you want to get up from the and you you want to stay in your seat can't get up or someone can't bring it to you, please let us know. Raise your hand so that one of the elders can come and serve you